break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 15th of February, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. And we got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about the ex-Honduran President Juan Orlando Hernandez now facing drug charges in the United States. We're going to be talking about Mali and France potentially parting ways. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to talk about the coming Medicaid purge. Medicaid enrollment is at an all-time high. Roughly 76 million people, about 17 million more than prior to the pandemic, are now enrolled in Medicaid. And the reasons for this big increase are twofold. One, of course, is the unprecedented job loss during the pandemic, where people lost employer-based health insurance or lost income and could no longer afford their prior insurance and thus had to turn to the government. And then the emergency COVID-era rules that prohibited states from disenrolling people from Medicaid during the public health emergency. Now, because Medicaid is moving to trim the list based on eligibility because of the coming end of the public health emergency, as many as 15 million people are at risk of being kicked off of the Medicaid rolls. And even worse, it's not even 100% clear when the deadline for the start of the purge begins because it's not 100% clear when the government will lift the public health emergency. States will allegedly get a 60-day warning, and the increased funding they got to cover the increased cost will last to the end of the quarter in which the emergency ends. But either way, state governments and... By extension, people on Medicaid will have to scramble to figure it all out. If nothing else, this potential crisis shows the massive gaps in the U.S. healthcare system that were ruthlessly exposed during the pandemic. Healthcare in the United States, of course, is a patchwork of employer based plans, government programs like Medicaid and Medicare, and individually purchased private plans on the Affordable Care Act exchanges. Most people facing a purge probably are eligible for ACA plans. But of course, the switch over doesn't happen automatically, so they have to navigate all the various options, and some people who had employer-based health insurance have likely not navigated this process before. Another issue is people may, in fact, be eligible to stay on Medicaid, but still will need to renew their enrollment. In Utah, as Kaiser Health News reports, quote, the eligibility of roughly 120,000 people, including 60,000 children, is in question. 80 to 90% of those people were at risk because of incomplete renewals. End quote. Obviously, there are many reasons people may not return the form, but one major one is likely people moving. And with the lifting of the CDC eviction moratorium and other local and state measures to protect renters, the potential rush of evictions will probably make that problem a lot worse. So clearly, there are plenty of opportunities for people to fall through the cracks trying to navigate all of this, especially if they only find out they are no longer eligible when they have limited time to work out other options. And obviously, even a short gap in coverage can have huge consequences if something happens to you or if you're receiving some sort of long-term care. There's also the fact that Medicaid eligibility rules vary state by state, which means the same person could be eligible in one state, but not the neighboring state. 
And this is especially a big deal in states that did not expand Medicaid. So if you got, let's say, a slight raise that takes you just out of eligibility, now you have to go through a whole other process and, again, may end up with a gap in your health care coverage. So long story short, millions of people sometime in the next few months are going to be thrown into an incredible churn to try to make sure they can maintain continuous health care coverage. Undoubtedly, some of them won't succeed and the number of uninsured people will likely go up. Yet again, showing how absurd it is to have this patchwork-style privatized healthcare system that's hard to navigate, expensive, and provides coverage that is essentially rationed by cost. The pandemic showed that it's quite a bit easier to establish social welfare programs with universal coverage, easy enrollment, and uniform standards. But the rush to get everything quote-unquote back to normal seems to mean going right back to the same old system that has failed so many. Reports are that French troops will be withdrawn from Mali with an announcement supposedly set to be made by President Emmanuel Macron this week, further escalating the tensions between Mali and France and other West African nations concerning disagreements over how the country of Mali is being governed. The end of the French mission in Mali likely means the end of the existing United Nations mission, which depends heavily on French logistical support. Other EU countries who have troops in Mali also may leave. Germany has already been saying they would leave. Denmark is already gone, but Spain says they want to stay. The disengagement of Mali with the Western military coalition in the Sahel comes alongside Mali turning to Russia for greater assistance, and as of last week, Iran as well, which is really the crux of the matter. Mali's opening to Russia enraged France and other Western nations, and that ultimately led to sanctions from ECOWAS, the regional bloc of nations of West Africa, and those sanctions are absolutely designed to make the Malian economy scream, and were seemingly part of a French-backed strategy to pressure the nation's leaders. Technically, the crisis is related to the issue of elections in Mali. In May of 2021, elements within the Malian military mounted a coup after two years where waves of anti-French sentiment swept the country. The masses of people blame the existing government for locking the country into a neo-colonial setup, which was responsible for the poverty and inequality in the country, and they further blamed French troops for using the conflict in the northern and central parts of the country as an excuse to maintain their occupation forces, which acted essentially as the guarantor of the neo-colonial control of the nation. Initially, the coup regime was saying they would have elections at some point this year, but things then took a turn. Towards the end of 2021, Mali declared that they were buying Russian weapons and bringing in Russian trainers, which caused all the various Western nations to threaten to remove troops and in aid to Mali unless they stopped working with the Russians. Then in early January, the Malian government announced they were pushing back the deadline for elections for as long as five years. And shortly thereafter, all the nations of ECOWAS, outside of Guinea, leveled sanctions against Mali, cutting off their access, Mali's access, to the West African Central Bank, and seeing all the countries, again except Guinea, close their borders and airports to Mali and Malian trade to try to choke off commerce to that nation. The fact that ECOWAS was doing Western bidding was clear enough, given the fact that some of its members' leaders came to power on the backs of coups of their own, and several of them also have their own reputations for, let's say, less than sterling election processes. Not to mention the sanctions were more far-reaching than how the bloc had reacted to coups in the past. So hard to imagine why such a hardline stance would come now, outside of the fact that there was probably at least a little encouragement from European nations and most likely the United States. You can see the double standard from recent coups in Guinea and Burkina Faso, where ECOWAS in the West are taking much softer positions. Further, Chad, which isn't an ECOWAS, but is a part of the broader Western-led military coalition in the Sahel, also recently had a coup, and more or less no one said anything. 
as we mentioned before, it seems an explicit example is being made of Mali, or they're trying to make an example of Mali, for daring to open relations with Russia. Already, the balance of trade in Africa is shifting towards Asia. Military ties have accordingly become more important for entangling African elites into a pro-Western orbit. To the extent African nations start breaking from those relationships, clearly, the less leverage the West has in Africa, the continent with the largest concentration of critical resources. And a sign that Mali is willing to counterpunch, so to speak, last week the foreign minister went to Iran, and the two nations discussed closer economic, scientific, and technical cooperation, a move that ultimately can only further outrage the West. There are a range of contradictions and complications wrapped up in the current situation in Mali, but what's clear is that they are being targeted with sanctions and isolation specifically because they are leaning into the idea of a multipolar world rather than standing pat with the same old neo-colonial realities. The most recent past president of Honduras, the right-wing Juan Orlando Hernandez, often referred to as Joe, is now on track to be extradited to the United States to stand trial in relation to involvement with drug trafficking accusations that have dogged him for years and that have ensnared associates and members of his own family. More than anything else, it represents a surprising pivot for the United States, which backed Joe wholeheartedly for years after supporting a coup in the country in 2009 that allowed his right-wing movement to come to power. In the past few years, Joe has become a bit of an embarrassment to the U.S. as his circle's ties to narco-traffickers kept appearing in court cases and front-page headlines, many of them including accusations of his own involvement. The U.S. move is clearly self-interested. Honduras is one of the main sources of mass migration to the United States, a major political issue Republicans weaponize against Democrats. The only way to stop mass migration is economic development. But the hard-right governments the U.S. has been backing in Central America were only interested in looting their countries, not developing them. The only alternative are the broad progressive movements like the Libre Party, which has taken over for Hernandez in Honduras under the leadership of President Geomar Castro. The status quo was clearly unsustainable. And at least for now, the U.S. is willing to play nice with the progressive government of Honduras. And by seeking the extradition of Joe, they are undoubtedly sending signals to Guatemala and El Salvador not to play around because the era of ideological impunity, where as long as you're against the left, you can do whatever you want, is temporarily suspended in Central America as the Biden administration tries to curb a major political problem before the 2024 elections. Or at least, so it seems. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah, yeah, ha, ha.